This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Thanks for tuning in to the show today. It's the Tuesday edition of The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And we are here every day at 4 o'clock on AM 630, The Word, to take your phone calls and answer your Bible questions or life questions, whatever's on your heart or whatever you might be dealing with. I'll do the best that I can. All you have to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. Uh, Your questions will be sent to us directly from there. If you are driving in your car, The safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just uh, hit the Call Now banner and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. One more time for our main number. It's 340-9585. Don't have a lot to talk about today because it's Tuesday, so we'll get right to the questions. But I do want to remind you, and we'll be doing more on this throughout the week, this coming Saturday, and you're invited to come and uh, you will have a blast, is our annual Joy of Jesus outreach. It's a celebration. We're so grateful for what God has done. We want to share him with everybody, and we minister at Travis Park in downtown San Antonio, uh, not just to homeless, but that's the largest part of, of the people that will be in the park, and certainly the people that we gather all the free clothes for, and the free bicycles, and and uh, all of the other things that we do, from haircuts to food uh, to makeups, makeovers to our our doctors will be out there. The whole medical staff will be out there uh, to treat uh, a lot of the injuries and the things that people have. Um, just really a great, great time. We'll have some music out there. Some kids will be dancing. Uh, and you will truly be blessed. Come out and join us. There will be thousands and thousands of people there throughout the day. And uh, we always look forward to it. It is our signature event here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. So this coming Saturday, Travis Park, downtown San Antonio, the event begins at 11 o'clock. It ends uh, at 3 o'clock. And we'd love to have you come out. If you are from the radio audience, just find somebody wearing a bright red shirt that says Joy of Jesus on it. And uh, ask him to find me and Paula. We'd love to meet you. Paula will actually be dancing with the kids out there. So I know she's in training right now. But we'd love to meet you. It's always a great time when people from the radio audience come up and, and we get to sort of put names and faces together. So that's this coming Saturday. Okay, let's get right to questions. Let's go first to a phone call from Anonymous on line one. Anonymous, thanks for calling. You're on the radio. Well, hello, Pastor. Um, I have an important question I like uh, that I like to be answered. Um, uh, you know, as well as I know, that the uh, people you know hear that you know God has a plan for each of their lives and. Uh, Pastor, my question is, um, how does God prepare us for his plans for our lives? I'll listen to the response on the radio, sir. Okay, thank you. 
always very, very thoughtful questions, and these are the really, really important questions. You know, these are more important than the deep theological questions because this is a man who's simply saying, look, I want to be sure that I'm right in the middle of God's perfect will for my life. Uh, Anonymous, the way that God prepares you is he, he, he begins slowly at first to reveal himself to you, As you become curious, he reveals more and more of himself to you. The more time you spend with him uh, in prayer, the more time you spend in the Word, the more time you just spend hanging out with Jesus, the more like him you're going to become. And here's something that's really important. You know, we have sort of over-mystified the idea of the will of God. How do I know I turned left when I should have turned right uh, kind of thing? And and here's the thing, to, to, to know for sure that you're in the middle of God's plan for your life, all you have to do is be with Him every day. Let me tell you a very quick story, Anonymous, that, that uh, the Lord used many years ago to, to, to really seal this idea in my heart. Um, we were going through some really difficult times. This is a church, you know, I, I say uh, often in response to questions here that everything we do here is free and it costs a lot. And, and money is always an issue for us. I mean, always an issue for us. And we were going through one of those times where we were, things were so lean that, that we actually didn't know um, if, if we could make it much longer. And I remember going out and walking with Jesus and crying out, Lord, if I'm wrong, if I made some, some poor choices, I'll repent. It's okay. I just need to know that I'm right in the middle of your will. And uh, it was no thought of quitting or anything like that, but it was just one of those cries for help in a desperate time. And I remember the Lord spoke so clearly to my heart. Now, remember Anonymous and the rest of you in this audience that, that if I'm not out walking with the Lord, talking to him, then I'm not going to hear these things that I need to hear. That's why it's so important to invest the time in this. And he spoke to my heart, and, and he God, God deals with us in a way that we can understand. I'm a super logical person, and God deals with me logically. I said, Lord, if I'm out of your will, if we've done something wrong, please tell me and I'll fix it. And here's what he said to me. He said, you know, were you with me yesterday? And I said, yes. And are you with me today? And I said, yes, Lord, I'm with you today. And then he asked me this question. He said, if you're with me, How can you miss my will? How can you be in the wrong place? And my response to that was, Lord, if I'm with you, then that's the only right place to be. And so that's the way we have to view this. It's not a bunch of things, you know, I have to do this or I can do this or I can do that. It's being with Jesus. That's why I harp so continually on this radio program, and even more so to my church. Just be with Jesus. Because when you're with Jesus, you're in the middle of his plan. And then while you're there, on the way to where you're going to be five years from today, he is preparing you every single day for that which lies ahead. We're about to announce the beginning of a, of a, of a, a really impossible ministry. Um, I have no idea how we're going to do it. It makes no sense. And it's going to be one of those things where people tell me I'm crazy all over again. I can deal with that. But you see, if I'm with Jesus, it doesn't matter how crazy it is because he can do all things. And so what I have to do is be with him today and tomorrow and the next day. And when I get to another scary place, then I have to remember by faith that I'm in the middle of his perfect plan. It's his plan, not mine. I'm just an instrument, anonymous, that he moves around. So that's the way he prepares us, day after day. And again, I'll say this. I, I responded to another question yesterday in a similar fashion. Uh, you will not ever be able to know God's plan for your life if you're not a man in the Word. You've got to... Learn to love your Bible. You've got to devour it. He's going to speak to you uh, primarily, not exclusively, but nearly exclusively. He's going to speak to you from his word. So if you're not a man of his word, then you're never going to be sure about his plan for your life. 
And then you got to be a man who invests time talking to Jesus. That's what we call prayer. And in the process of following those things, you will know that you're right in the middle of his plan. I think too often what we do is we think of the plan of God for our lives as something in the distant future. And the only way we get to the distant future plan is to be in the plan of God today. And that's just being with Him, having our heart right before Him, keeping short account of sins, repenting quickly and completely when necessary. And it is impossible, I mean literally impossible, to miss God's perfect will if we understand that. Good question. Thank you for that. Those are the ones that, for me anyway, are super, super important. Here is a question, another anonymous question from our email inbox. And this one is painful. And uh, I'll explain in a moment. So, so, Pastor, thank you for taking your time to answer uh, or address my concern. My father is in his 80s and his health is failing primarily due to his own failure to comply with his doctor's orders. He is very mean, depressed. His hygiene is horrific. He lives alone, but would like to come here to San Antonio and live with me and my family. He already chooses to do little or nothing for himself, but when he is around me, he becomes totally helpless and wants me to do everything for him. We've tried to address these issues with him, but he becomes angry. I feel so guilty for not bringing him into my home, but I feel it would be disastrous due to his behavior. How do I reconcile this spiritually? I want to be obedient to the Lord and help care for him, but I just don't know what would be the best decisions. Thank you. Blessings to you and Paula. You know, this is a really, really difficult question uh, and, and so very, very personal. And I, um, my heart goes out to you. We have a bunch of people in our church who are going through the same things, dealing with um, aging parents who are... Uh, in in the early stages and, and a few of them in late stages of dementia. It's so hard. And uh, another family who's brought in uh, uh, the, the husband's father, uh, who is an exceptionally difficult man. And, you know, being with Jesus and, and keeping peace in your home is so difficult under those circumstances. The Bible says we're to honor our parents. And I personally think, Anonymous, that there is... Uh, a responsibility to care for them as long as certain conditions are being met. The one thing that we can't forget is that our home belongs not to us, but to Jesus. And so the people who come into our home, now we can't make them become Christians, but we can make them adhere to the rules of the home. We can make them understand that this house belongs to the Lord. We can set up ground rules that have to be established. Um, horrible hygiene would be one of those things. Uh, it's not healthy for him, and and he would need to understand that, that he has to be willing to take care of himself or let us take care of him or hire somebody else to do it. I don't know what your financial situation is. But the idea is that he's got to be a man who understands the God that you serve. And if you can do that, then the power of the Holy Spirit will enable you to get through the other things. For a man to be uh, mean and depressed, there's not a lot you can do about that. But the Spirit of God can do everything about that. Uh, You can say you're going to comply with your doctor's orders. Whatever the doctor says to do, if you come into this home, that's what we're going to do. And we're going to do it every day. There's not going to be any opportunity. Um, those are the things when he becomes angry there can't be any angry outbursts you know we have the saying beggars can't be choosers I think a a more spiritual way to put that was you know you're you're a guest in Jesus' house and um, you know we're we're not going to have fits of anger we're just not going to do that and I, I, I know that God will give you the strength to do it. If you feel guilty, you've got to decide perfectly whether that's guilt or conviction of the Holy Spirit. The answer to that one question will change everything. And if it is guilt, it's from the enemy. If it's conviction, 
That's from the Holy Spirit. We need to respond to what the Holy Spirit is saying to do. And of course, this would be a matter for prayer. The minute you feel like this is the Lord telling you this is what to do, remember that he then becomes the object of your ministry rather than the enemy of your ministry. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Well, honoring your father is one of those things that you'll be able to do. And you can't look at it as something that's drudgery or torture. You've got to, got to remember that this is an opportunity uh, at his age to show somebody in his last days, literally his last days, who Jesus really is. You know, one thing we want for our family members is for them to be in heaven. And if God wants to use you to be a witness to him, well, then you don't want to miss out on that opportunity. On the other hand, as I said before, don't do guilt. If he doesn't want to comply with the house rules, if he's unwilling to, to watch his temper or his language, or uh, if he's unwilling to, to, to watch his hygiene, um, then, then, then you, you've given him the invitation, you've done what you can, and then the rest is up to him. I would simply say, Daddy, and I called my dad Daddy many times in his elder years, is telling him, look, I want you in heaven, and we're willing to open our home, but we're not willing to have you disrupt our home. It belongs to Jesus. And so you want to come? You want me to care for you? There are going to be rules. You have to tell me whether or not that's okay. If you say it is, then rest assured, we're going to do this consistently every day. With no fussing, no arguing. It's kind of the reversal of roles, you know, the kind of things that your parents used to tell you when you were small. There's rules to live in the house. And if you accept those rules, then... You've got a mission from God. If he refuses, then he's chosen. Not you. He's chosen. Not to take advantage of your hospitality. You know what? I don't know who you are, obviously, but I will be praying for you. Uh, this is one of those things that is so difficult and so painful. Um, I remember what it was like the first time I saw my dad and he looked like an old man. It was shocking to me. I know that now because I see that same kind of look in my kids' faces when they see me. But um, bathe this situation in lots of prayer. Pray for your dad. And do what the Lord tells you to do. It's an opportunity to minister. It is not an obligation. And how you view it will likely determine how well you do with it. I'll be praying. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from our email inbox from Nacho. Uh, Pastor Ron, could I interpret Revelation 6 as a sort of summary overview for the rest of the book? Also, when Jesus opens the seals, we know that he broke all the seals at once. However, did the actual event caused by each seal being opened happen chronologically? or all at once. I assume chronologically, with that understanding, could we say that the first four seals are the first half of the Great Tribulation? Because at that point, uh, at the point of verse 9, the fifth seal, we hear from the souls under the altar, the Christians who have been killed in the Tribulation after the rapture of the Church. They're asking God for vengeance. I would assume that the time has to pass for all those souls to be sought out and killed by the Antichrist. I hope that makes sense. It does make sense, Nacho. A couple of things about the book of Revelation. When you get to Revelation chapter 6, that is for sure in the first half of the Great Tribulation. And those are enormous judgments. Now, we know that progressively the judgments get worse as we go from the, the, the seals to the trumpets and then finally to the bowl or the vile judgments. They get worse and worse and worse as we get closer to the end. But Revelation chapter 6, which we lose, I think, a quarter of the world's population, if I'm remembering correctly, um, th this is the great tribulation. This is the judgment, the wrath of God. And it's in the first half 
of the Great Tribulation. Now, I point that out because there are some who believe in a pre-wrath or a mid-tribulation rapture, and their their thinking would be that, well, the worst part of the Great Tribulation only happens at the end in the second half. Uh, not necessarily so. If you read those first seal judgments, uh, it's it's pretty horrible stuff. So, um, when Jesus takes the scroll and he opens the seals, we need to understand that he opens the seals and it and it's all there before him. Uh, the, the, the full judgment, the full wrath of God is all there before him. And while we have to read so we can understand it chronologically, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that it happens one right after another. Let me give you an example. In Revelation chapter 6, when you get to the, the final seal, the, the seventh seal, uh, the seventh seal is the seven trumpet judgment. So when you open that, you're opening all seven seals. And we're going to have some of those things happen uh, in, in uh, a, a, a terrible way, uh, but in a way that the only way you can understand doesn't mean they're all going to happen at, at, at different times, but, but some of that is going to happen concurrently. And when we understand that, then we also realize we get to the trumpet judgments. The seventh trumpet is the seven bowls or the seven vials. And they're going to be open and then there's going to be silence in heaven and it's going to be like a, ooh, can't believe how bad this is kind of an event. So uh, each seal... Uh, it's going to be open. These things are going to happen. Uh, we don't know how much time between the seals. Um, as I said a minute ago, some of the things are going to happen concurrently. Uh, some of them are going to be spread out over time. All we know is that for all of the 21 judgments, the seals, the trumpets, and the bulls, all of those judgments are going to take seven years, and then Jesus is going to come. Uh, when we get to the fifth seal, uh, the souls under the altar. Those are the tribulation martyrs. Those are the people who gave their hearts to Jesus Christ. And they are, um, they pay with their lives. They're going to lose their heads. The Antichrist is going to have them killed uh, because they won't bow down. They won't take the mark of the beast. And so they're under the altar and they're calling out, How long, O Lord? How long until you avenge our death? And God tells them, just relax, it's going to be a little bit of time, there's still more work to do. Now, I think, and this is this is one that's hard to explain, um, this is God who's looking down on this scene. And he lives outside of time and space. So my own view, Nacho, is that those martyrs under the, the altar of God, under, who are crying out for vengeance, they represent all of the dead throughout the entire seven-year tribulation, even though chronologically some of those people might not yet be dead. I hope that makes sense. So um, when he says just a little bit longer, he's telling them to be patient, to trust in him, and of course that's exactly what they're going to do. Uh, and then they are going to be um, with us when we come back uh, at the end of the book of Revelation, chapter 19, as we return with Jesus from heaven. So I hope that answers your question. Very, very, very great question. I'm, I'm getting the itch, Nacho, to teach um, the book of Revelation again, and I don't know when I'm going to do it. I know what I'm going to be teaching next on Sundays when we're done with the Gospel of Luke, uh, and I'm not so sure yet on Friday, but I'm sure getting anxious, and I mean that in a good way. I love the book. I'm getting anxious to teach the book of Revelation again. 340-9585. we got two minutes. Here's what I can do. Our email inbox from Scott. Um, he asked, recently a political candidate used Micah 6-8 to support LGBTQ rights. He said, it's said in Micah, what do you want from your Lord, but what is it you want from your people? He said, which is to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly. Uh, and so for me, this is a quote of this political candidate, I cannot allow as a leader that people are going to use religion as a justification for discrimination. He claims to be a Christian, but that's not what the verse really means right. Um, Scott, if I remember correctly, uh, this is the uh, homosexual candidate from Indiana. 
uh, who who said this, uh, and 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 obviously this man has no understanding at all of Scripture. Um, Micah chapter six eight has nothing to do with LGBTQ rights. Uh, God wants us to walk humbly. He wants us to to practice justice, to love kindness, um, and and uh, if if we'll do that, then we're fulfilling that command, and that's been God's command to His people uh, from from the very beginning of times. Um, so it's certainly not um, uh, what the verse means, and this man is certainly not to be a Christian. People who live like he lives will not inherit the kingdom of God according to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and Galatians chapter 5. So um, using Micah 6.8, or any other verse, by the way, there is no justification for doing something that the Bible expressly forbids. So he doesn't know. uh, We shouldn't expect our political candidates, especially those living in defiance of God, to know what Micah 6.8 or any other verse means. So, Scott, thanks for the question. 30 minutes left in the program. We'll be back in two minutes. Welcome back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the program. We'd love your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. The phone's been quiet today. Um, Let me go to a question that I touched on yesterday. And the reason I'm going to do this again, this is Jason's question. Uh, The reason I'm going to do this again is that it'll kind of help answer Anonymous's call about how do you prepare for the plan of God in your life. Jason asked me personally, what made you decide that Calvary Chapel was the church for you? I explained briefly yesterday, Jason, that um, um, uh, God just sort of directed my steps. I wasn't aware of it. Um, having not been raised in church, I didn't. I just kind of thought all churches were good. And yet when I walked in Calvary Chapel for the very first time, and the pastor was teaching verse by verse through the Bible. Um, he was telling me what the verse said, what it meant, and how I could use it. And it just made sense. And from that day on, I was absolutely hooked. And looking back after all of these years, I realized that that it was Jesus sort of pushing me in this direction. Now, I want to be clear about something. Calvary Chapel is not the only good church or the best church. It's just what God had for me. It's what I needed. And God used it in my life as sort of a compass point. I know that I'm not lost as long as I'm I'm doing church the way that God told us to do it. And by the way, you can find that in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42. God established the pattern for the church. And Calvary Chapel was the thing that was most closely um, following that, that plan. And I knew that when we came here, um, I went to Bible College, Calvary Chapel Bible College. I, I knew that when we came to San Antonio and started the church here, that this was the format that we were going to use. One of the things, Jason, that I absolutely love is when people come in, they've been gone for a long time. We get a lot of people in the military. I'll take them away for a long time and bring them back. Or people, um, uh, because they're so loved here, they'll come back and visit after they've been gone 10, 12, 15 years even. And they'll come back and they'll say, Pastor Ron, this is just like it was when I was here. And I look at them and smile and tell them, thank you. We don't change anything here. This is the way God said to do it. And Calvary Chapel gives me the freedom as the pastor to determine this is the way it's going to be. I don't have to listen to church growth experts. I don't have to listen to people who who think they've got better ways to do it. This is the pattern that God has established. And we are at Calvary Chapel, a pastor-led church. Uh, I have elders, my board of directors. Uh, I've got people who serve in the roles of deacons, lots and lots of them. We've got many, many people here who are godly and whose advice and counsel I cherish. But make no mistake, 
God's given me a direction for this church. We believe God gives the direction for a church to the man he's called. And then when we are obedient, then the, the body gets behind that vision. And uh, that form of church government, Jason, um, absolutely was vital to be able to do the things that God was putting on my heart to do. Let me give you just these few examples. If we had any other form of government, there's no way that I could have convinced a group of people to start a free school or to have a free doctor's office or to have a free house for women who were in trouble to come and live and get their lives back together. Uh, a new ministry that we're getting ready to, to uh, undertake. None of it makes any sense at all. And because it doesn't make any sense, trying to convince a congregation of that to vote on it would be insane. So here's what we do. We just say, this is what God's leading us to do. You follow us as we follow Jesus. And the people that are following us as we follow Jesus, they get to see the hand of God move in their lives, through their lives. They get to be a part of the work that God is doing. And um, they get excited about it too. So, uh, Jason, that was, those were the, the reasons that we're a Calvary Chapel. And even if Calvary Chapel disintegrates as an organization, um, as long as I'm the pastor of this church, as long as Pastor Ken is the pastor of this church when I'm gone, uh, I'm confident this is the way that things will continue to go. Why? Because this is what God's blessing and we're going to do it that way. Here's an anonymous question. It says, A friend of mine suffered a tragic loss. How can I help him through his grief? Um, the, the only thing you can do is just to be there. Don't be uncomfortable with his grief. Let him know that it's okay to grieve. It's okay to cry. It's okay to be angry. Um, we, we want to be careful. We don't want to blaspheme God in our anger. But but God understands these things. Grief is really, really difficult. And honestly, except to be there, to listen, to, to talk, if in fact he asks you for counsel, um, that's your role, to be a friend, to be a brother in the Lord. And you do that simply by being available. Weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. And there are going to be times when you're doing both those things with the same people. And there's, you don't have to have the right answer. We certainly don't want to give him Bible verses or throw out cliches. What we want to do is just be there. And always, always, always point him to Jesus. Jesus is the only one who understands his grief and his pain. Because Jesus is a man acquainted with sorrows and grief. Jesus is the only one who has the power to help. All we can do is point people to Jesus and help them. Again, don't feel like you have to come up with the right answers. Just be there for him. And it's the hardest thing in the world. It is our ministry. Yesterday, uh, anonymous, we had a question about Job's friends. Uh, why did they treat him the way he did? Um, you know, for a week, I said yesterday, Job's friends were were perfect. They just came and they sat and they cried and they mourned. They wept with him. And then their brains got engaged and it showed that they were pretty brainless. And then they caused a lot of pain. Sort of victimizing Job all over again. We don't want to be Job's friends we just want to be there. That first week when they were just there in pain and suffering with Job, well, that's the kind of ministry that we have when people are really, really hurting. We've dealt at our church, obviously, when you've been around this long, with a lot of people who've suffered tragic losses. Sometimes they want to know why. I always tell them that there's no why. There are no answers. Did I do something wrong? Is God mad at me? They'll ask. You, you reassure them that God's not mad at you. In fact, Jesus is here and he's hurting with you. Again, the focus is on pointing them back to Jesus. It's really, really a hard thing.
340-9585. Here's a question from Jean. Oh, before I go there, we got a phone call, so let me do this. Uh, we've got a call from Kyle, Texas. Phil on line one. Phil, thanks for calling. You're on the radio. Uh, yes, Pastor Ron. Uh, my wife and I were reading in Matthew uh, 7, verse 3, where it's talking about removing the plank from your eye. And then, in, uh-huh. and then in 6, it starts talking about do not give dogs what is sacred, uh, all the way to the end where it says they could turn and, and tear you to pieces. On From 6 on, uh, I don't know, we don't understand that part. I was also going to see if you could explain it. I can. Thank you very, very much. Thank you for calling from Kyle, Texas. Um, this whole conversation starts, now remember, Matthew chapter 5 through 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. And it gets increasingly more difficult. Uh, he lays this impossible standard in chapter 5. As he gets to the first part of chapter 7, still the Sermon on the Mount, um, he, he sort of giving them lessons for living. Don't judge or you too will be judged. We're not to judge people's hearts. Um, and, and then with reference to the judging, the uh, verse you mentioned, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention into the plank uh, to the plank in your own eye? It's just saying don't look out at other people's faults. Look in at your own. And then in verse 5, he says the person who is a hypocrite um, the, the remedy is to take the, the plank out of your own eye. The, the idea there being that we always have to make sure our hearts are right with God, make sure that our walk is right with God before we're going to, to go out looking at other people. Now, Jesus is using a little bit of humor here, but it doesn't soften the blow. The plank out of your own eye, one translation calls it this beam. It's a big beam. And, and we're looking at little specks in other people's eyes. And so he tells us what to do. And then when it comes to verse 6, he sort of changes um, um, the focus from self-inspection to here's how we minister to people who refuse him. He says, Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. Uh, what I want to do here, Phil, is give you the, the, the easiest explanation possible. Because here's what he's saying. Uh, if somebody doesn't want to listen, stop talking. Dogs in the ancient culture at the time that Jesus lived were not little cute pets like they are now. They were pack animals. And, and they were to be feared at times. So what he's saying is, look, you've got, you got a treasure to give to other people. Don't give it to the pack animals. Don't give it to the dogs. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. Um, uh, the, 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 the metaphor there is you have something of value, and you don't want to give something of value to pigs. Um, and, and the fact is they're more and more accountable. So what he's saying there is simply... Um, Share the gospel, share the the truth of Jesus Christ, and as long as people want to listen, you keep sharing. But the moment they stop listening, then your responsibility is ended. Stop sharing with them. And it's always bothered me a little bit because I thought, well, we got to keep sharing with them. But the truth is, Phil, that they're more accountable. The more times they say no, the more accountable to God they are. The more times I tell my church this all the time, the more you say no to God, the easier it is to say no to God the next time. Why? Because your heart gets harder and harder. So what Jesus is saying basically is the treasure you have is meant for everybody, but if they don't want it, in another gospel, he'll say, um, uh, clean the dust from your feet and go to another house. Uh, he's saying, uh, don't, don't waste your time with people that don't want to hear. Go find somebody who will hear. And there's always going to be somebody who will hear. Good question. Thank you very much, Phil. I appreciate it. 340-9585. Let's go to David calling on line two from San Antonio. David, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. How are you doing? I'm doing well, David. How are you? 
I'm doing well. I just wanted to tell you that uh, something really weird just happened. I got in my car after sitting with my, or listening to my CEO at work. He had flown down from the Washington area, and uh, anyway, he said something that it kind of was kind of a little strange to me, and I just thought how blessed I was, and I didn't realize it all this time. Uh, even more, every day I, I find out different things that people have done that have blessed me in my life. Uh, the company, I just found out, rather than having the insurance company pay, is self-insured, which means that they, uh, when I was in the hospital a few years back, uh, paid oh, right at a quarter million dollars for myself and then my wife. Oh, and, then, uh, and then, uh, of course, the men from your church were there for me every single night almost, and I appreciate that. I just wanted to thank you that I, I wasn't treated like Joe. <laughs> so... I love you, Pastor Ryan. You, I, oh. I hope you know the fans, but God bless you, and take care. Thank you, Bye-bye. David. Thank, thanks for sharing, and, and I miss you. We miss you and your family very, very much. What a great, great call. Um, David's situation, this goes back some years now, he was stricken with Guillain-Barre um, out of nowhere, healthy one minute, and literally in a minute was uh, his whole life was changed. And, uh, you know, at that, that moment, you don't know what is, that it's Guillain-Barre syndrome. You, you think about strokes and everything else. You think you're going to die. Um, and, and David's faith uh, and his response to the tragedy um, was just spectacular. It was just one of those great times. And, again, David, thank you very much. We, we miss you. You know, I had a business one time. We, I self-insured. Um, we, we self-insured our, our, our employees. And I still think that's the best way to do it. The problem is you've got to have money, and churches typically don't have the kind of money to do that. Thanks, David. I appreciate the call. It's always great to hear from you. It's been too long. Gene's question that I didn't get to a minute ago is, Pastor Ron, what are your thoughts about the Lutheran Church? Gene, they're, they're believers. Um, let me add this. If they are born again. Uh, one of the problems in the Lutheran Church is that they they believe, they teach that you're saved by virtue of infant baptism, and uh, that's simply not true. So uh, if they're born again, uh, they are real Christians, they're part of the family, um, they are gospel-centric, um, and while I say that, the gospel message is what's really, really important to them, and... and uh, um, they're going to going to hold on to that gospel message. At the same time, um, Gene, they're gospel light, and by that I mean there's just not much substance. You know, you can only teach the Bible if, if you're going to teach the whole counsel of God, and they don't do that. Um, I, I disagree very strongly with their position on uh, communion, um, but um, those are non-essentials, and they are believers. Uh, one of the sad things about many of our old line denominations, whether it's Lutheran, Methodist, uh, or others, is that uh, the churches are are uh, pretty dead. Uh, you won't see much or hear much about the operation of the gifts of the Spirit. Um, so uh, they're believers, and they'll be in heaven if they're if they're born again. Uh, but it's not a church that I would ever be comfortable in. Um, I'm not an old tradition guy. I want to know what the living, active Word of God says, and then I want to do that. Here's a question from Jack. Jack, you're a glutton for punishment asking me this question. My wife tells me I should go to church, but I prefer staying at home and watching online. What's wrong with that? Jack, listen to your wife. She loves you. She wants the best for you. And you cannot be a part of a church body from home. If you think God is going to honor your spiritual laziness, then you don't know who he is at all. So it's not about going to a church location. It's going to a place and being the body of Christ and fulfilling your role. Here's something that that I try to drum through people's minds all the time, Jack. 
The church needs each other. I can't do what I do without other people doing what they do. And God is the one who, who majestically sort of crafts together a church body to fill all of the holes, to give all of the gifts that are needed to fulfill the vision that he's given that church. And so when somebody says, well, I just want to watch from home, um, how would you ever explain that to Jesus? Well, Jesus, I uh, thanks for dying for my sins, but the truth is, um, that Sunday was my only day to rest, my, and so I just wanted to stay home. How would you explain being that spiritually lazy to Jesus? How would you explain to Jesus what Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 says, when he tells you to love your wives the way Christ loved the church, giving himself up for her? You're unwilling to give yourself up for your wife. How would you explain that to Jesus? Remember, church isn't just about Bible studies. Now, that's a big part of it. God gives people like me, equips us to teach the saints how to accomplish the work of ministry. And the living act of word will convict you. It can do that online. But, but you see, you get to use the gifts that God has given you when you're active in the church. And so you got to go. You say, what's wrong with that? It's like asking what's wrong with being lazy. It's just not a good thing. Listen to your wife. She loves you. She wants what's best for you. Jack, Ephesians 5, 21 says, Submit to one another out of reverence for God. 409585 for your live calls and questions. Um, let's go to a question that was just sent in from our e- to our email inbox anonymously. Uh, Hi, Pastor. Could you speak to the correct meaning of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 11? I have a friend who's a believer. She was married for several years ago. Uh, for several years ago, both were believers, but the marriage failed. She stated that they did go to Christian counseling to try and salvage a marriage to no avail. Fast forward today. And the verse in question, she wants to know if this means she cannot ever marry again unless she reconciles with her ex-husband. Thank you so much for your time and for doing the Lord's work. Uh, Anonymous, let me read the verse so the audience understands. I'll read verses 10 and 11. Paul says to the married, I give this command. And then he says, not I, but the Lord. Now, that's important because what he's saying is this is the heart of God. This isn't my opinion. This is the heart of God, the Spirit of God. So in other words, this is something that we got to do. It says, a wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband must not divorce his wife. Now, Jesus is an equal opportunity offender here. The same thing applies, same principle applies to the man and to the woman, the husband and the wife. If she came to me for counseling, if, if, the, if you and your husband, your ex-husband came to me for counseling before this divorce occurred, I would have said, if you choose to leave your husband or if your husband chooses to leave you and there are no biblical grounds, biblical grounds being uh, uh, adultery, uh, physical abuse, or abandonment, if there are no biblical grounds and you choose to leave your husband, then what I would have said in that marriage counseling is, are you prepared to be unmarried for the rest of your life? That is what Paul is saying. It's a consequence. That is the heavy, heavy price for willful disobedience. Now, you didn't give me any details about why you divorced, what the circumstances were, but here's the thing that you need to understand. If, in fact, you divorced your husband, uh, he wanted to stay, and you you just said, no, this isn't going to work, and you left because you thought you'd be happier. Well, then the consequences of that decision are remaining unmarried. In that case, you're going to be married to Jesus. It doesn't mean your life can't be fruitful. It doesn't mean that it can't be full. It doesn't mean that it won't be wonderfully enjoyable. What it means is that you will serve being married just to Jesus. Now, people always say, well, what if I just get married because I'm lonely now and I can't take it? Well, the answer to that question is there's going to be additional consequences. 
There's never any blessing, never any blessing when we're disobedient to the Lord. This is something that we've got to learn. Now, I get a lot of people that come to me after they've made the decision to remarry. And what we want them to do is then repent, confess their sins. God is faithful and just to purify them from all unrighteousness. And then they can honor God in the marriage they have. But depending on the circumstances. Now, if you were a victim in this marriage, if your husband cheated on you, if he abandoned you, if he was physically abusive to you, if he's the one who made the decision to divorce, uh, then you're not bound. Paul is talking to the willfully disobedient partner in the marriage here. And if you understand that, then then you're going to have your answer. Uh, one thing about reconciling with ex-husbands or ex-wives, if they've gone on and married other people, that issue is dead. And you then are released from the covenant of marriage, which means that you would be free to remarry again. So if your husband, your ex-husband, has remarried, then the marriage covenant is null and void, and you can then repent of your part of the divorce, and then you would be free to remarry. Paul is assuming a Christian response to the marriage crisis. Thanks for the question. Hey, appreciate the calls and the questions today. You've been listening to The Word to Stand Them for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio.